Warm greetings and welcome to the PM&R Pocket Mentor Podcast, brought to you by the Association of Academic Physiatrists. I'm Edward Pingeno, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today's guest is Dr. Barbara Kuzminski. At the time of this recording, Dr. Kuzminski is finishing up her PGY one year at SUNY Upstate and is preparing to enter her PGY two year at the University of Washington PM&R program. She's the founder and creator of the Pocket Mentor Podcast, and after interviewing some of the nation's leading program directors and physiatrists in the field, I believe that she has much to share with us today. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Kuzminski. Thank you so much for having me. You've recorded a number of insightful podcasts and are now caring for others as a medical resident. Looking back, what did your life look like before starting to record podcasts? Yeah, it's it's super funny actually being on the other end of the microphone now. Because uh, when I think about it, it started two years ago. And yeah, I never really thought that it would take off and that I could hand it off. So I'm super excited to have you working on it. Very kind. But at the time, it was summer 2018. And I was in my fourth year of med school. Um, at the time, I was actually doing an away rotation at the Mayo Clinic in mm. Rochester, Minnesota. Yes. And I was on the AAP's inaugural medical student council uh, that year. And my position was tech rep. And what was really cool was the positions were really open to basically kind of how we wanted to define them and get things started. And once I got things going with the social media, I felt like there was a little bit more I wanted to contribute to the role. And I consume a ton of podcasts. Um, It's definitely my favorite way to catch up on things, uh, just hear stories. And I remember, um, I don't know why it was particularly in Trader Joe's, but I saw that they had a podcast. And it's been brought up to me that it's clearly not Trader Joe, like (laughs) in some storage room making the podcast. But for some reason, I thought if Trader Joe's can have a podcast, I can do a podcast. Like, how hard can it be? Wow. So yeah, so I basically went online. A couple hours on YouTube will honestly get you very well started. And I had a bunch of questions still about physiatry. I knew I wanted to go into the field. I knew it was my fit. But I had to feel that I didn't really understand the breadth of what a career in physiatry can Mm. entail. Mm. So I wanted to get a look into unusual paths or maybe paths we might not think of within the field. And at the time, I'd been working with Dr. Jeffrey Bro at the Mayo Clinic. And he did really cool stuff uh, as a hand specialist, lots of non-operative stuff, um, outpatient management, for example, with uh, Dupitrin's contractors. So I had approached him if I could interview him, and, and he had agreed, and we had a great conversation, and that's how things all got started. That's a great story, and what a wonderful beginning. Which brings me to my next question. For our listeners who maybe haven't heard of physical medicine rehabilitation, how would you define it? Yeah, I think that's really tricky to actually do, even for people that are in the field. And it's kind of the blessing and the curse that that we are very broad. Mm-hmm. And I think what gets tricky for people is that for a lot of specialties, you can define the field based on what system of the body it approaches and, and what pathology are treated. So you're a cardiologist. I manage pathology of the heart. Right, right. But for physiatry, it's not really so much, I think, the diseases, although a lot of people try to define it that way, it's more of kind of this approach, this whole headspace, I'd Mm, say. mm -hmm. So if you Google the definition, you will get kind of this vague list of conditions that we manage. And that's, that's fair. It does include spinal cord injury and brain injury and MSK issues. But... I think a better way to think about it is really the approach. It's patient-centered, it's functional, goal-oriented medical care. I love that. So it really is patient-centered in that what we want to know is what is the patient's goal. You can have a bunch of different patients with the same pathologies, but your approach to how you manage them might be super variable because each of them are going to be trying to do something else because of their personal values. And then the other side is who can we enlist in a comprehensive team to achieve these goals? 
So it could be PTs, OTs, speech, uh, coaches, family, nursing, friends, the community. And uh, one thing that I really loved about the interview that I did with Dr. Zumsteg, who is actually the program director at UW, where I'm headed, is the physician or the physiatrist is really the leader of this whole multi multidisciplinary team. Um, and she really loved the part of having the responsibility and being the decision maker. Mm -hmm. And so really being a physiatrist, I think, is, yeah, leading that multidisciplinary team to figure out how to get a patient to their goal. Wonderful. Um, for people who want to get a better idea of what physiatry is about, I highly recommend the Undifferentiated Medical Student podcast. Oh. It was started by Ian Drummond. He's uh, he's probably actually a match resident now, but at the time he was a student and he started this podcast interviewing all of, I think it's 160 or 170 medical specialties under the AAMC or the AMA. And he, every, every single specialty from like hospitalists, pediatrics, everything. And then included was the PMNR uh, episode. And that's with Dr. Miguel Escalon from Mount Sinai. And it's a, I think it's a couple hour episode, but it's really excellent. And even when I thought I knew what PMNR was about, that episode gives a lot of insight into what the field entails. Um, so I highly recommend taking a listen to that as well. Those sound like very insightful resources that are that are more than worth taking a listen to. And I love what you said about how physiatrists work with a team and work so very closely with patients to understand their values and their goals with the aim to ultimately facilitate restoration that is deeply meaningful to the patient. I think that that's beautiful. So what inspired you to pursue the field of physiatry? It's interesting. I think I... In the end, it, it feels like now, at least, that I was kind of always on this path. And then there was a number of signs along the way that slowly had me realize that I was always headed in this direction. Mm. Um, so I guess a little bit of background. When I was younger, uh, all my jobs were camp counselor, ski instructor, sailing instructor, windsurf, anything I loved to do, uh, I ended up teaching it. And my favorite thing was guiding people to discover what they value, what makes them feel really happy in this joy and finding their own health through different sports and activities. And then kind of moving into undergrad years, I did a kinesiology minor and I really loved all the biology classes and understanding how science can help us understand that joy of health and physical activity. And so once I eventually ended up in medical school, I had always imagined I'd do sports medicine and it seemed like a good fit. Uh, definitely very interested in the MSK aspects of things. Definitely have a bunch of injuries that I manage uh, kind of personally within myself with different activities and, and interested in that. And it wasn't until I was in my second year of med school, just finishing up. And at the time I was on the island of Ceiba, because I, I went to a Caribbean school in the first two years we do on Ceiba and uh, in the Dutch Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And we had one of our alumni came back just to visit. I mean, it's a spectacular place for scuba diving, hiking. So he was just on vacation. But he came to speak to our class and we were all graduating off the island and moving on to clinicals. And he just basically gave us the story of his life. And, and he mentioned you know, now he's a sports medicine physician, but he got there through physiatry. And he had described how he got there and a little bit about what his practice actually entails. And basically the opportunities that were available to him after he finished training and that he had, you know, this time that he could spend with his family and he was very satisfied with the work he was doing. And it just felt like the way he was describing his approach was really, really in line with my values. Mm -hmm. A little bit of the stuff that I've alluded to, yeah, earlier in the questions. And so that was the first time the idea of the field uh, even came onto my horizon. And then I think over time, it just kept cropping up. And yeah, on rotations, on orthopedics, or on neurology, it'd be so fascinating managing these patients. But then I always had that question when it was time for them to go, 
well, what now? You know, we've diagnosed MS or this or whatever the pathology is. And, and what now? What are they going to do with their lives? And I think if that's where your head goes, which is definitely where mine went, then you have that headspace, I think, for physiatry because you really want to figure out those next steps for people. And, uh, and I think with time, went to some conferences, listened to some podcasts. Some of the early AP podcasts were really excellent. And I think everything was just very, very validating. So by the time I started rotating as a med student, it just solidified the path. And when I turned around, I was like, yeah, I was always headed this way. I just didn't know. That's so tremendously profound. And it seems like every time I hear the story of how someone discovers the field of physiatry, that there's this moment in time where you realize there's potentially a specialty that so intertwines with your DNA, who you are, what you care about, and that enables you to, to be all of who you are to really help people heal. And that might not be unique to physiatry, but I would submit that there are aspects of it that are very unique to physiatry, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think there's a, I think another piece too is when you start meeting other people who also were attracted to it for the same reasons, that's super exciting because it's like I said, it's people that really value the same things as you and it's this automatic just feeling of fit. Mm. And I think there's something really special about that. Most certainly. And, and I would agree. The physiatry community just seems so very wonderful. As I've mentioned, you've interviewed some of the nation's leading program directors. You've successfully matched. And, and so there are a number of questions that I'd like to ask you uh, to benefit our listeners at different stages and in different positions on the road to physiatry. Uh, so to begin, for international medical graduates or IMGs, what advice would you have to offer an IMG student interested in the field of physiatry? Definitely. So whatever your circumstances are, IMG is a kind of specific category. It always feels like there's some kind of obstacles in your way, something that puts you at a disadvantage just because of the circumstances. And some of those obstacles are absolutely super real. Uh, but one of the things I'd really like to say, at least what it feels like my experience taught me, is that you really cannot let it slow you down. Mm. And I'd actually really encourage people to try to see all that kind of, yeah, those disadvantages as mm. an opportunity. That's good. So I guess for IMGs specifically, when I was going through the process, you always worry about, you know, can I even match? And then there's all these statistics being thrown at you. I mean, some people will say 40% of people will match and some people say whatever numbers. And, and, and there's legitimately programs. I, I ended up meeting actually a program, sorry, a, a department chair from one of the programs I would have really loved to interviewed at. And after discussion, uh, they were like, well, well, why didn't you apply? And it turns out I, I did. And they just don't interview people from international schools. And so these are, that's a very real obstacle. Um, so I don't want to belittle that. But like I said, there's opportunities. And when there is any more challenge, I think that's really motivating. I think people are humans. I think we're, we function really well in the face of adversity. And I think it really encourages certain attributes like creativity and initiative and this momentum that we just wouldn't have if things fall into place. Sure. So yeah. I guess an example, as an IMG, uh, we don't even have a home institution. Once you leave the island, you rotate all over the place. And some places I got to stay a handful of months. And after that, in fourth year, for example, I pretty much did one month in every city. And then I was changing for rotations pretty much every single month. And so we definitely didn't have a PM in our department or, or having any continuity of mentorship was super, super tough. And so I, that was actually one of the things that really pushed the idea of the podcast in the first place, because I felt like when I did get a chance to talk to people and did get some mentorship, even on, for example, rounds at the hospital mm -hmm. on any given rotation, people would tell these stories. And I was thinking, wow, I really wish other people like, could hear these stories or for example there's stories I must be missing that people are hearing on other wards in other parts of the country so how could I 
I'm still getting some of this mentorship and maybe it's not an, an obvious way. Like it might be if I went to a school with a very established program, but what can I do with this? And so the podcast came from that. It was this feeling of, Hey, I'm actually getting some really great mentorship here. And I'd love to spread that to other people. And especially people that feel like they can't get access to that. Mm -hmm. And the podcast ended up being one of the most exciting projects that came out of all that. And I never would have thought that it would have turned into a whole subcommittee within the resident fellow council. And now we're, I think 20 people that are contributing. So I think, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a problem. It's something, or it's something that might feel like it's slowing you down, but what can you do about it? What does it offer you as an opportunity and I really think that, or I wonder sometimes, you know, had I gotten into medical school in Canada, so I, I didn't, I applied a couple times, and that's how I ended up at the Caribbean. Um, if things were kind of obvious and simple, I'm not sure I ever would have been so curious and been so motivated. Maybe I would have never found physiatry, and I'm not sure I would have felt, yeah, just that little extra momentum that ended up propelling me uh, into the things I've done, and then. I'm not sure I honestly would have matched somewhere like I did. So wow. I, I think, yeah, just that attitude. And so I guess I'd put a little bit of a plug. I find it interesting watching people during the pandemic that we're in now. A lot of things that we want to do, we can't. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can only imagine as a student, there's a lot of obstacles. And everybody that's on the other side, for example, when you're applying, they understand how tough it is to be a med student. What's nice is people that are in the positions of program director and that are are receiving these applications for residency, they they were in your shoes at one point. Maybe they didn't have the exact circumstances, but they get it. Mm. And they can imagine what these extra obstacles might feel like because it's already hard enough regardless what your circumstances are. Mm-hmm. And so it's cool seeing in this time, you know, who is really taking advantage, you know, what can we do with this in that case? What kind of online learning can we get involved with? What kind of things can we start and become a part of or create new communities or new ways of communicating? And I think that looking at each of these, what, yeah, what might be a setback as an opportunity really can just get momentum going in a direction you never thought. And, and it can really end up better than you might have ever really expected in the first place. Mm-hmm. So that, that's one thing I'd say. Try to find a bit of a silver lining and some, some opportunities. And that is such a tremendously positive attitude to have and truly like wisdom that is worth taking to heart. I, I know that our international medical graduate listeners will be especially appreciative. And thank you for sharing that. And For medical students interested in physiatry who are in their preclinical years, what advice would you have to offer them? Definitely. Um, So I think in your preclinical years, this is a little bit more my opinion than I think what I've heard from some of the program directors that I've talked to, though I'll, I'll weave in some of the things they said as well. I would say a really big piece is figuring out what you like and what you want. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other piece would be to kind of think about building your story, kind of figuring out who you are, what you want, and then being pretty aware of that because at the very end of the day, um, you are kind of selling yourself. You're going to create this beautiful product of a med student that has learned a bunch of different things, has many, many hard and soft skills, and then you're someone that can contribute hugely to a program and how are you going to sell that? Uh, so I, I, I get really excited about that, actually. Um, I'm a little bit weird. I know most people don't like writing their CV and don't like interviewing. And I'll tell you why I think you should enjoy that or people mm-hmm. could and should. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I'll get into that. But I guess for the first part, when you're in, when you're starting school, I would pay attention to what really gets you lit on fire? Um, what's really easy to study? I liked that part. Dr. Niehaus said that in my interview with him. You know, if you're studying neuroscience and you find, oh man, I, I get through these lectures, no problem. I remember everything. This is really easy. I really like it. Take note of that. Take note of which parts stand out to you. And I think that's a really good way 
to get a feel for for what naturally is where your tendencies go and pay attention to some of those questions you might be asking like I was saying like well what happens now what what does this patient want so that I guess that's more the clinical side or the clinical years but once you start to build that when you go to decide which specialty you're going to go to if you're deciding whether or not physiatry is right for you it'll feel very lock and key because you'll be very familiar with what your key looks like and what you're about. And when the fit is right, it'll be super clear. And then you'll have no issues. Like once you know what you want, um, that that part's the hardest. After that, you can't really stop someone who knows what they want. Um, you just get this momentum once something's a fit and you really enjoy it and it's not really even work. So I would say really, really invest in defining your side of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's the first part. I would also say keep a pretty open mind. Um, even though you might not be interested in obstetrics, there's always something you can learn from each rotation. And sometimes it's even just soft skills or just a breadth of experience to draw from. And that always comes in handy when you're, when you're interacting with different people that you're going to be working with and different patients. So it is really easy. Well, maybe not easy, but it's tough to stay motivated sometimes because the whole training process is such a marathon and sometimes you just want to kind of take a TO. But uh, there really is value in all the different things that we learn. Mm -hmm. uh, so just trying to really pull pieces from each thing that you're you're trying out and what lessons you can get from it. And then, and if you don't like it and that's clear to you, that's also very instructive. That's also part of that defining what you really do like mm -hmm. uh, the most, I guess that process. Mm -hmm. For more specific things that you could do, um, people have talked about a lot of different things on the podcast. Uh, you, you do when you're filling out your ERAS application for residency, have the different sections. Dr. Escalon in the episode with him walks through that really, really well. And you can find online exactly what those specific areas are, but volunteering is big. Uh, definitely lots of different things you could do with that. There could be adaptive sports. Uh, I did adaptive sailing. That oh, wow. was actually way before I knew about physiatry, mm -hmm. but it's super, super fun. Um, if you are into sports and uh, from the get-go, then uh, that's a very, very cool way to see, I guess, that mindset in play of what can we do with this? You want to get someone active. How can we just make that happen for someone? Depending where you're at, sometimes there might be free clinics that you could become part of. Uh, different clubs that exist. Often there's physiatry or PM&R interest groups. Uh, being part of mentorship. I've heard definitely a number of uh, people, like program directors, speak to that. A lot of medical education involves mentorship. You end up actually teaching more than you'd expect. Uh, I, I'm sure you'll experience it once you're in fourth year med school. Even, even years before that, you'll be mentoring people in years previous to you. Even when you're an intern, resident, you're always going to be mentoring. So having experience in that, uh, sharpening those skills and showing that you are interested, I think does look very good. Definitely research. That's a component. I actually soon will be putting out some podcast episodes that I had done this year um, with the research committee and basically discussing what the value of research is and then ways that you can get involved. So definitely look out for those really great conversations that I think you should hear from the horse's mouth. So I won't go into it too, too much. I think it's like a lot of other parts of medical school. Maybe it's not your big particularly but there's absolutely value in giving it a try in seeing what it's about seeing what the process entails there's ways to do it really with pretty low time investments uh so being being a physician i think you do have to develop some skills in appraising literature and understanding where we get the data and the guidelines that we use clinically mm -hmm. so I, I would say that trying to find opportunities in that are worth your time. 
I found that part really hard with moving around all the time, but you'd be surprised now. I'll kind of get into it a little bit later, but the kinds of communities that exist online for research, the ways you can get involved, it's actually just getting easier and easier. So if it doesn't feel like there's an obvious way to get that going within your institution, um, I, I really hope that doesn't discourage people, but I can talk about that, I think, just a little bit later. So through all the stuff that you're going to do, I did want to definitely mention that as much as it's worth to kind of not check the boxes, I really don't like that concept, but to have experienced all the different realms, it is really important to stick with what is true to you and true to your interests. And so again, you're, you're building that story that then you're going to show kind of to the residency world to find your really true match for a great training experience in residency. So you want to have stuff that you don't want to have a bunch of kind of standalone experiences. Oh, I did an hour here, an hour there, and just these kind of odd experiences. And, and that's good having breadth for sure. But if you can somehow start to build things, especially over those four years, ideally, mm -hmm. I think that really just ends up being a lot more powerful. The other thing is um, there's kind of two sides to that. So actually, so if you're doing things that you enjoy, you're more likely to succeed. It's not going to be extra work. And then these things also tend to naturally build on themselves. People will notice, oh, well, you've already done, you know, for example, website design. And I see that you really like that. And our group needs someone that has that extra skill. And so you'll just, these opportunities will build on themselves. The flip side of that, um, I really liked, Alison Schrader said this, actually, it's in one of the podcast episodes. It'll come out a little later this week. We recorded at the AAP conference. Watch out what ends up on your CV. Because say it's something you don't like, but it's on there. People might actually expect you to do more of it because why else would you have done it? So if, if you are a secretary for a group you're part of, and you join a new group, people might expect, you know, oh, well, you did this last time. Do you want to go ahead and do it again? So you might end up kind of pigeonholing yourself into things that you don't enjoy. So I would definitely say guide yourself by what you're passionate about. You'll just be more successful at it, and it'll really self-perpetuate in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you keep doing that for the four years of med school, then you'll build this story that was a lot of fun. And it's something that you're really proud of. So when it comes to write your CV, write your personal statement, get ready to, to interview for residency, you're going to be super excited about it because it's all things that you wanted to do. And, and personally, that's kind of <laughs> my experience has been like, wow, you know, I'm going to this interview and someone is going to sit and actually listen to all this stuff I was excited about for 15 minutes. They actually want to hear it. Um, so I really think that, yeah, if you, if you're really guided by your passions, you'll enjoy the story that you built and you'll be excited to share it. And that comes off and other people will be excited to help you continue that story. And it's just this very self-perpetuating kind of line of success. That's excellent. And, and so good to know it. It seems like medical students are discovering physiatry so much earlier than in years prior and that it's gaining uh, more interest every year. For students in their clinical years, what advice would you have to offer them? Yeah, so a lot of a lot of similar stuff I, I kind of said because I, I see it a little bit as this continuum of the four years. Uh, when it comes to the clinical rotations, oh, I forget who said this actually, but in one of the interviews I had with someone, I really like they said, definitely want to do the kind of traditionally useful rotations for PMNR. So neurology, rheumatology, orthopedics, MSK, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. I did really like the, yeah, again, I forget who was that mentioned it, but it is one of the last chances you'll have to also try different things. So I don't it, if you wanted to get into some very specific surgery or just some outpatient work or something that 
when you're a student, kind of anyone will take you. People get very excited to accept and teach students. And, and I, I've had good experience as a resident too, but you, it's a little different once you're training. It's just a different, mm. you're kind of working and it's a different headspace, I think. And so I would keep an open mind. And uh, for example, I, I'm very interested in wilderness medicine wow. and there's some extremely cool opportunities you could do. Mm-hmm. So I did a month out in uh, Arizona and New Mexico, and it's you end up getting the, what is it? Not the woofer. Oh, the wilderness upgrade for medical professionals. So it's, it's like the wilderness first responder or woofer equivalent for uh, healthcare workers. And it ended up being a month and you do a week of that kind of class training to get the WUMP or the wilderness upgrade. And then three weeks back country in the Gila wilderness of New Mexico. Mm. And they have, they have actually multiple, multiple different iterations of this. And so it was a really, really special opportunity. And we worked on lots of soft skills, communication, leadership, and the kinds of things that otherwise I honestly wouldn't have had any formal training in. And that is way more accessible to you when you're still a student. So I, I definitely would say try to look out for unique experiences that you just honestly will have a tougher time getting in once you're done with your school training. Well, that makes sense. The other things I would say is definitely start early when it comes to getting prepared for ERAS and for your applications. It's already such a stressful experience and there's no way around that. There's just so many moving parts and it it sucks a little bit. It's a lot of work. So make it easy on yourself. Start super early. Even in third year, start asking for letters right after rotations because everybody you worked with still remembers you because later they've seen so many faces. It's good luck for them to write you a really meaningful letter. And ask for more than you need. So I think you can you can give five total. Ask for more. If you right now had a great experience in third year, go ahead and get that letter now. Maybe you don't need it later. You don't want to use, use kind of people's times too much or people's time, sorry. But, you know, they don't know how many people you've asked and, and be reasonable. But, but get the letters early because it's a ton of work for writers And then you don't want to be putting pressure on people when there's that deadline for September, the year you're applying. Uh, Same deal with your personal statement, CV. So that whole story, if if you have been building your story for the four years and you really know who you are and what you're about, that part gets a lot easier. But if you're like me, writing sucks. I'm not good at it. It takes me forever. So get it done early. Give yourself months and months in advance to send it to everyone you know that knows how to write well. Get the feedback. Do, you know, a bunch of iterations. Look at it this month. Sleep on it for a month. Look at it next month. It just makes it a ton easier. Mm -hmm. And then also start building the questions you want to ask when you're at interviews. One of the parts that I found kind of tough was you keep getting asked, uh, what questions do you have? So you go to the interview, expect to be asked questions and and the question is, what question do you want to ask? So, yeah, reflecting a bit on what you're looking for in programs. And when any of the things for, yeah, the personal statement, CV, any of these aspects come up, I just had a folder in my phone. And sometimes I'd be driving or whatnot, and I'd pull over and just jot down different things as I remembered them. And then when you go to write these things, you'll have a ton of information to draw from and just link them up with nice sentences in your set. So definitely start early, start early, make it easier on yourself. Well, it certainly seems like there's a lot to the application process. And for an endeavor that is inherently stressful, it makes a lot of sense to get started as early as possible. Moving on to audition rotations, for students who are able to go on them, want to make the best impression and get the most out of their rotation, what advice would you have to offer? I think a big part is to prepare and a big part of the preparation would be figure out what your goal is for that rotation. So it really depends. That's absolutely personal. Are you going to this rotation to find out what PMNR is? Are you trying to polish off certain skills you already have? Are you looking particularly for maybe a letter for your application? 
Um, are you looking to maybe do some research and find people within that? It kind of, it depends. So I mm -hmm. think a big part would be writing down what you're actually trying to get out of it. Because once you have that defined, then you go in with a little bit more purpose so you can keep an eye out for the people that you might be looking for that can, yeah, give you a little bit more perspective or link you up with research opportunities or eventually be that letter writer. Uh, definitely you want to do some background work on what the program you're visiting is known for or what is really special about that opportunity of you being there. Do they have really strong research? Is this a good time to get your face known by people in that? Or can you jump on a project? Are they particularly spectacular in MSK? Can you, in that case, ask the coordinator to maybe make it a little heavier in ultrasound because that's what you want to know more about and they're really great in it. So figure out what the program has to offer and how you can take advantage of that. Otherwise, uh, who you work with, always always flattering to people if you know stuff about them when you show up i would definitely recommend that for anyone you know you'll interview with always look up what their deal is research interest um it just shows that you're interested mm -hmm. and so yeah absolutely look at who you're going to be working with if you can find out sometimes you can email coordinators and they can tell you who you're likely to be scheduled with and maybe you guys have overlap in yeah research interests the interests in clinical practice maybe even something more personal like certain activities or sports that you're interested in so that's just one more level of connection that you have once you get there and one more person that you kind of know you can go to for your particular interest so you'll just get more out of it mm -hmm. yeah and then it, you, I would recommend also actually use the coordinator, ask them what rotations you'll likely to be doing or you'll be likely to do. Some rotations will be, you know, four weeks inpatient, TBI, SCI, and that's it. Some will be a week on outpatient neuromuscular, a week on MSK, then inpatient or all outpatient. So knowing what you're getting into is great because they're not the same. Again, PMNR is super broad and your outpatient MSK and your inpatient SCI, they're very, very different what you're going to be seeing and how your day is going to look. So I would get an idea of what you're getting into and then, yeah, definitely just brush up on the parts that uh, you're really trying to shine, uh, brushing up on your different examination skills and, and just general knowledge is always nice. Because if a question does come around and you nail it, that always looks really excellent. So, sure, sure. Um, otherwise, once you're there, I would say look out for opportunities. I, I kind of mentioned that already, but what can you contribute or improve about the experience or about the program? So, for example you're on your rotation. Is there a super interesting case? Well, maybe you can write it up and maybe you could loop in some residents and attending, submit it to a conference, submit it to a journal. And now you're showing a program that I come here, you guys offer me all this teaching and I'm learning. This is wonderful, but I'm someone that also wants to contribute and make a place better mm -hmm. wherever I go. And mm -hmm. I think that's really powerful. And I've definitely heard that from uh, different people that I've spoken to and interviewed, it's it's a two-way street with all these things. It really always is. So so look out for how you know you can stand out and and how you can give back to this awesome learning experience that's being given to you. Otherwise, I definitely take notes. Uh, take notes on what you like. Take notes on what you don't like. Uh, take notes on how you felt about the program. Kind of that gut feeling. Likely you'll get an interview where you do your audition notation. Likely they'll take you very seriously as a candidate. Uh, so now you're starting to figure out what matters to you when you go forwards into actual training. So real-time notes so that later you can get back into that headspace are super, super valuable because later you're just not going to remember exactly what that gut feeling was telling you. Mm -hmm. So yeah, getting an idea of, of 
of what matters. And then those will also help formulate questions when you go to interviews later and you can contrast and compare programs. You'll have ideas for what you want to be asking, not only the, the faculty and the interviewers, but also the residents, because that's a big part of interview days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, lastly, everybody always says this, be yourself, but it's true. Just you know, if, if you like fairly light attitudes and you like to be, you know, joking, I guess as appropriate, but, but you like, uh, an interaction with attendings that's more on the casual end of the spectrum, or you really like kind of a more academic, a little bit more reserved and traditional way of teaching, just stick with what really fits for you. And if it works, you'll be able to tell. And then you'll also have that information of, you know, you prefer one style over another. And you can go ahead and find that when you go to apply for residency. So it's definitely worth, yeah, just being true to what you like. And and if it fits, then that'll be noticed on both sides. Um, So I would definitely recommend that. It sounds like preparation is absolutely essential. And that authenticity is very important that familiarizing yourself with programs of interest and physicians whom you'll be working with is also very important. And I think one really great place to accomplish the latter is actually on social media. And not a lot of people realize that there is quite a robust community of physiatrists on Twitter, for example, a group of kind and brilliant physicians who seem to always be willing to invest in the next generation. And I remember you recorded an episode with Dr. Niehaus. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and, And immediately after... Listening to this episode, I signed up for Twitter. So what's your take on the matter? Should medical students interested in physiatry be on social media? Yeah, absolutely. I really, really think so. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why you should. And there's a lot of ways that you can partake. So I think maybe that's a big piece that people don't realize. So... A couple things I think that are benefits. So the first would be networking and collaboration. You're right. First of all, people are super friendly. And what's really spectacular about social media is that things are essentially upvoted based on their quality. So it's really nice. I kind of felt this experience. I felt a little, yeah, you know, I'm barbed from nowhere and you know, who cares about Caribbean students and how am I ever going to even have a voice Mm. in any of all this? And you go on Twitter and, you know, that kind of pedigree or, or where you come from doesn't really matter. Everybody just has a profile. And if you're generating quality content or you're part of important conversations, you have a voice. And that was a crazy experience for me because you go on there and like you said, people are very friendly and people are very supportive. And so I felt like I was just barbed from nowhere, you know, nobody. And I was getting program directors following me. Mm, wow. And I, I nearly fell off my chair the first time because I was just like, what, why would they even be interested? But it's, it's a part of a support. And, and so you can absolutely just go on and strictly be there to, be aware. You don't even really have to say or do anything. And I think not everybody realizes that. And it's not weird. Like, that's fine. And so there's a lot of people that really don't generate a ton of content. And they're just there to see what the buzz is about. And Dr. Niehaus says that says this in the, the episode that you're mentioning, uh, that what what are people talking about in the field? What are the main discussions? Um, what research is out there? What questions are people asking? What needs are there? And so that's kind of just really great information. And it's all available in these little bite-sized pieces, only when you want them, categorized by hashtags. So you could really, really curate your own experience of it, strictly just taking in the information that's out there. And it's a really lovely way to do it. Mm-hmm. So some of the hashtags that are really common are physiatry. So hashtag physiatry. Hashtag med Twitter, so it's more general medicine on Twitter. There's also hashtag med ed while you're in school, definitely very valuable. And if you want to get a little bit more involved, uh, you could start to definitely interact with people. And some of the uh, 
some of the communities have actually become very, very thriving. So one that uh, you and I are part of, I just wanted to mention actually is PM&R Scholars. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that originally started, it was a group of med students that met at a conference and then they kept in touch on Twitter. And it's grown mm -hmm. spectacularly. It's really cool to see. Definitely. So now uh, we're working on a website and it's a collaborational group that really seems like it grew fairly organically and now it's really taking on a lot of traction. So a big part is the research, people finding out what other people are interested in and then a lot of people who have never met in person getting together on projects and then submitting. And I was just at AAP and the only reason I could go was because I had a poster that was strictly done through the PMNR Scholars Network and just found other people interested. We pushed it through, it got accepted and I got to go to the conference. Um, so that's a little bit more of an active role, but it's amazing. And now there's a little bit more of a networking and mentorship aspect to that group. Um, and that and that really, that was all forged in Twitter because mm. it was so easy to collaborate and it's really grown quite a bit. The other piece is if you want to get even more I guess involved is you could start something and Twitter's or social media in general is just a really great, easy way to do that. So a couple examples. Um, yeah. The PMNR scholars is one for sure. Um, I have a friend, Claudia Jimenez. Uh, she's down in Puerto Rico and she started, for example, um, I think it's on Instagram only, but it's PM and art. Mm. Uh, so it's kind of like PMNR, but she does artwork related to PMNR. And I thought that was so cool. She has this passion for art. She's a spectacular drawer and artist. And now she uses that to create these really beautiful documents that are also super educational and just kind of started this movement. And it's really taking off. Um, another thing we got, or uh, you actually started the um, medical Spanish discussion group and that was also largely through uh twitter at least getting people interested in it uh we have the rehab lamos group um i have going with some friends so that was again just you know i had an idea i wanted to learn more medical spanish and instead of just looking at a word a week by myself alone i thought well i could just publish this on social media and it's a personal learning project but this way other people can join this learning process with me. So it's really this amazing space that you could start to get really creative in and you could do a lot with. So like I said, there's these, these really huge levels of interaction that you can have with Twitter and with social media. It's really spans from just gathering data, just kind of being part of the discussion or, or, or being a bystander in the discussion all the way through to getting very, very involved and in incredible networking um, and starting your own projects. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the things I would say is in general, I think that PMNR is really cool because we are about that creative headspace. And so I'd really encourage people to kind of jump into that early. Like medicine can feel really restrictive when you're training because it's a lot of check boxes it's this exam it's that exam it's this rotation it's this clinical you just have so many things that these boxes that you're checking all the time but it really can be a super super creative experience as well and drawing on your skills and your interests from outside of medicine really just makes it a lot stronger so yeah i, I would definitely i think that we're also of a bit of a generation now that has these tools that just keep growing in number and medium. And so I'm really excited to see what people do with that because I, I think you could get very, very creative. And I think it's just so much more fulfilling and, and just exciting and motivating when you do. Oh, well, I completely agree. And it's been absolutely amazing to see the creativity and the initiatives that have gained some traction on, on social media. And I think that the take-home message is if you weren't sure before, then consider today your your encouragement to to perhaps sign up and, and get a Twitter account. I think it's an incredible opportunity to dig deeper into the world of physiatry. 
I know that you've spent a good amount of time developing your philosophy and approach to life in medicine, and along the way you've learned many lessons. I was wondering if you might be willing to share some of those lessons which you wish you would have known early on in your journey. I think the part that I am happy with is that I did really stick with the stuff that I liked. Um, I think I did. I was pretty true to my interests, which sometimes feels a little bit like, hey, am I doing the right thing and other people aren't doing it this way? Is this still going to end well? And for me, it did. And I, I really like that because it, it's a long journey. It's your life that's happening as you're going through med school. Mm-hmm. And so to enjoy the whole part of it, the whole process is a pretty big deal. So I'm really happy about that part. I was just talking to someone earlier this week, actually, and, and it was funny kind of being on this side of things, like once you've matched, because people will tell you, they'll look at you and you know, you're fine. You're going to be fine. Everything's going to work out. You have no idea how well it's going to work out. And even if it doesn't work out right away, it works out in time. And then you look at, you know, you're looking at them, you're like, how do you know? You're not me. And and how do you know it's going to be fine? And the funny thing is, is that, you know, it it really will. And I remember people would tell me, I was like, okay, this is not helpful. Like, I, and so it's funny because, yeah, you're going to end up on the other side and you're going to tell people the same thing and they're not going to believe you. But I would say as much as you possibly can to believe that because really it does work out. And, and if it's, if things are, like I said, if you really kind of do your homework, do your end of it and figure out what you want and what's a good fit, it's a lot of work. It's a huge investment. If you really do that, you cannot stop someone that wants something. Like the how, once you know the what, is is really negligible. It will really just fall into place. Um, so as much as you can return to that, it's everybody says that it's cliche, but it is for a reason because it's it's very, very true. So as much as you can remind yourself of that in the times when it just feels like this ridiculous, endless treadmill that you're on, then, um, yeah, I think you can at least maybe dial down some of the unnecessary stress that mm-hmm. that is a bit inevitable. Dr. Kosminski, you've shared some very practical and tremendously helpful advice with us today. Thank you for sharing some of your story with us. Thank you for extending me the trust to help take over this project. And, and thank you for being willing to create a project like this for the benefit of medical students interested in the field of physiatry. We honor the multitude of hours that you've invested into this podcast and Truly and sincerely wish you the best of everything as you move forward. Thank you again for being with us. Thank you. Um, yeah, I like I said, I never thought that any of this would really keep going when I was starting it. And nothing is cooler than seeing someone else take on and, you know, the project. And I'm so excited to see what you guys will do with this. Yeah, I'm just very thankful. And I, I hope that there was something useful for people here. Oh, undoubtedly so. Thank you again, Dr. Kuzminski. And for all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Pocket Mentor. Keep up the great work. Take care. And we'll see you next time.